Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I chat with Dr. Rachel Allen. The Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. So Rachel was someone that was introduced to me by one of my past guests, um, Robert Davis, and he thought that we would have a great connection. So she is actually a therapist and she teaches, um, well, not really teaches, but she does her sessions at the yoga center, which is where I actually got my yoga teacher training, as did Rachel. So we had a lot in common and um, it's really fascinating to see kind of her blend of both Western and Eastern philosophy and how she integrates both the mind and body during sessions. So if maybe therapy is something that you've thought about before, but you're like, I don't know if I could just sitting there would do it for me. She actually will go into a little bit different type of therapy session um, that I personally have never, uh, I guess I probably didn't even really know about this um, until she kind of informed me a little bit more about what it is. Um, you know, not only do we talk about that, but we also talk about how to battle anxiety. And then as far as stress management, because you know what? A lot of us are stressed out in our lives. And so she gave us, uh, she gave us some really good, useful tips for both the anxiety and stress management. And then we also chatted about body positivity, as that is something that she sees quite often in her practice. Um, just we, us women, are we're kind of hard on ourselves. And so she chats about how to kind of um, spin that self-talk around. So I think you guys are really going to like this episode, and I'm really hoping that she'll come back on again in 2018, um, because we didn't even get through quite all the questions that I wanted to, um, just because we ran out of time. So I will look forward to chatting with her again, and I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. Today I have Rachel Allen on with me, and we are going to chat some yoga as well as kind of her background, because she has a unique background, and I really want her to kind of tell us a little bit more about that, and then tell us how you kind of stumbled into yoga as well, Rachel. How did I stumble into yoga? Well, <laughs> I guess I technically I first took a class my senior year of college, um, because there was a requirement that I had to have one gym credit. I didn't take, I didn't take gym in college, and in part, I was recruited to that college to be a Division One ski racer. So it wasn't like I was sitting around all four years. I was very active, but apparently <laughs> I still had to get this one gym credit before I could graduate. And I decided to take yoga, and it was um, just so different from a lot of the ways I had been typically physically active. Um, I'd always been more of an endurance athlete and done, you know, everything from cross country ski racing, which is what I was recruited for at the college, but also just triathlons and, um, you know, more high intensity endurance sports. So I decided to try yoga and it was taught by this woman who was uh, probably in her mid to late seventies. Her name was Dot. And she just, she just kept it real. Like she had been there since the beginning of yoga in the West. And, um, you know, she looked really youthful and she was inspiring. And it was, it was such a nice, like counterbalance. So I think a lot of um, just the other ways that I had, you know, exercised or moved my body. So I was definitely intrigued. Um, that was, I guess that was in the mid nineties mm -hmm. when I first took yoga. Um, and then I was, I remained really curious about it um, in the years after that. Um, I'd lived in Hawaii briefly and I started, that's when I started doing the, the Bikram style, the really hot yoga. There's a lot of different other types of hot yoga now, but at the time that was kind of the only hot yoga that people did, the, the Bikram style. Um, 
And then when I was in graduate school, I amped up my yoga. I did a lot more yoga, but it really, I wasn't certified yet as a teacher. It was very much just for my own stress management practice to get through grad school. And that was when I was in the um, San Francisco Bay Area. So there were a lot of good options for yoga out there. Um, and it, but it wasn't until after graduate school when I was, I was done being a student that I, I guess I decided I just had to be a student again and decided to take <laughs> my yoga teaching certification. And, um, and so I really, that's when things really changed for me. And I, I was able to, through my teacher training, really create a language to articulate why it was so powerful for me personally and also why I felt like it was um, such an amazing therapeutic tool. And then, I mean, so you're also a doctor of psychology, is that correct? Yes, I have my PhD in psychology, not psychiatry. I feel like sometimes people get confused, but um, yeah. How do you kind of blend yoga? Because I was kind of looking at one of the videos you had. How do you use yoga in your, you know, regular therapy and like counseling sessions that you have? It's, you know, it's so different from person to person um, because even though a big part of, of what I specialize in is mind body with yoga as one of my main um, body oriented tools, um, th- that's, it's not even necessarily always what we do in session as far as yoga asana, yoga poses and yoga movements. Um, and it's like every year that I've been in my practice, I've been able to really uh, explain that more clearly to people because I think there has been confusion. Um, you know, a lot of people would think, wait, so you are a yoga psychologist and does that mean I come into the session and immediately just get into downward dog and start talking to you? Um, and so I do think that sometimes what I have to explain is that when you say yoga, there's a lot of different elements to that, but the physical poses are one aspect. And yes, we, will, we may do some in the session, but there's also a lot more to yogic philosophy and yoga therapeutics. And that's part of what I love about um, bringing in yoga is it's a really, it's, it's an extensive system. You know, there's, there's a philosophy behind it. There's um, all sorts of aspects that have to do with well-being and breath and meditation and concentration. But there is, of course, also, yes, the, the physical component. Mm. And then it also goes so much more beyond the physical. Yes. Yeah, I think that's something that I don't think I realized until I took my yoga teacher training. I'm like, wow, there is so much more to yoga than I had ever known. And I was so glad at the time, I didn't know if I was going to teach or just use it with my training clients. And um, I'm like, I really did not know when I went to yoga class, like I didn't know there was this underlying stuff and the mindset and all of this, you know, the Ayurvedic side came out too during the yoga teacher training and all of this stuff that you don't necessarily know about when you just go to a class until you maybe take a couple um, workshops or then actually do a yoga teacher training. Um, and those trainings, if you're not interested in teaching, you don't have to. A lot of people took the training that I was with that just took it to, you know, deepen their own yoga practice. Um, you know, so that is something that I think in your field of practice, how do you kind of go about blending that Eastern mm-hmm. side of things with that Western philosophies? Cause they are kind of, they can be quite opposite things. And I have a friend who is a, um, family and marital therapist. And so I would, she would probably taking a little bit of warm up time to the Eastern side of things that I tell her. Um, so how do you kind of blend that? And, you know, even with coworkers and clients alike? Well, I mean, fortunately I work at a wellness center, so I, I don't even have to like explain it to the coworkers, like everybody there gets it yeah. and like really supports, you know, full mind, body, spirit, health. 
Um, and that was such a gift to transition to a wellness center after um, having been working in hospital settings for a while, um, where it's definitely much more, I, I felt like this attitude of just like, you know, work your tail off. There's not a lot of balance. Mm -hmm. um, but but um, how it is blended, yeah, because I think there's a lot of confusion. There's like, how is the yoga brought in or what does that look like? But um, I will... You know, anything ranging from, like I said, more yoga philosophy and yoga asana, but also um, I really enjoy Buddhist psychology. I'm not uh, a Buddhist myself as much as I like to sometimes practice Buddhist meditations, but I bring in Buddhist psychology. Um, I bring in somatic psychology, so more body-centered, other types of body-centered approaches. Um, and then within yoga, there's everything from, like you mentioned, Ayurvedic medicine, but also I'll do chakra readings. So people, I can get a sense for where people are maybe have imbalances of energy within their body. Um, so what, like, for example, what that would look like is a client would essentially lie down on a yoga mat and um, I would have uh, this pendant that I would hold over them where there are seven different areas in the body where we tend to have a more of a higher electromagnetic charge. Um, and then I can end up telling people based on what, you know, what I see where do they have some block energy or excessive energy or um, different patterns in their body? Um, and so just helping to educate people on, on the chakras and that energy, the more subtle body energy. Um, I also actually am excited I have in my office um, one of those aerial swings, oh, nice. so like the big silks. And yeah. um, it's, it's been really interesting. Ever since I started incorporating that, I haven't had a single client who hasn't absolutely loved it, <laughs> who, who hasn't just felt so at peace, like taking kind of that sense of peace and dropping into a whole new level when they do that. And I would say not just with the aerial sling, but with, with any time in any session in which we've gotten off of the couch and either gone and walked in the woods or we've gone down on the mat, nobody has ever regretted that we took some time in the session to really go into the body. If anything, it has always taken things to the next level. Mm. It's always really enhanced their experience. It's helped. And part of it is because we are, we can get so stuck in our heads. Oh yeah. And traditional talk therapy, which has plenty of benefits. I, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in that as well, but it's, if we come into, I really strongly believe if we come into a therapy session and we sit on the couch and we're sort of talking and analyzing our thoughts exclusively we are leaving out this tremendous resource and profound wisdom that lies in our body. Mm. And we get cut off from that with age. You know, uh, interestingly enough, it's children who are far more connected to their body and their intuition and their sense of, of expressing through sound. And, you know, it's um, so I, in some ways I'm just trying to help people to come back to what already exists within them. How can you tap into the language of your body, the sensations of your body? How can what your body tells you be this method to come back into balance, to come back into, you know, your own authentic self, like what you need, what you need to self-regulate. And you don't need money for that. You don't need a prescription. You don't have to go anywhere else. So it's, it's like this huge resource at our fingertips, but we get cut off from it and we get stuck, you know, in our, in our head. Yes, I totally agree with that. And that's something that I've seen, you know, even just in fitness, you know, for training for 10 years, I 
sometimes people will cry during our sessions. And, um, you know, I said, I have honestly seen almost every single one of my clients cry um, who are long-term clients just because that is kind of what they're doing is they're moving through stuff. And I'm like, your body is letting whatever needs to come out, come out, you know, let it happen. And so I definitely think that that would, in a therapy session would totally help because I see it so much in just training sessions where they didn't know they had this stuff that's built up, you know, coming out and then, um, you know, going to someone who would actually could, well, I mean, I can listen, but I'm like, not, no, I'm not certified in this. So that's where I'm like, Hey, this would be something great. And I know you're local as well. Could you tell people in case they're interested in um, coming to see you where you're at? Well, my main office right now, um, I've kind of been scattered a little bit in the Twin Cities, but I'm mainly at, um, it's called the Dharma Wellness and Spa, which is um, in the building of the Yoga Center of Minneapolis, but the St. Louis Park location of the Yoga Center of Minneapolis. But um, yeah, there's a wellness center there where there's myself. I'm the only psychologist, but there are people who do uh, massage and acupuncture and some coaching, um, even facials and um and and skincare sorts of things um so that's where i mainly see all my clients and then as far as i do some workshops and pop-up talks around the twin cities like i have a workshop i'm going to be doing an open mind fusion studio and um, i'm actually going to be doing one one or two later this winter into the spring at um, the lifetime fitness downtown minneapolis which is um those those workshops will be open to people who aren't members um, but just yet yeah, different wellness centers and yoga studios uh, throughout the Twin Cities is where I've done a lot of seminars and workshops that blend yoga and psychology. Um, like anything from, you know, yoga to help for anxiety um, to yoga to help with emotional eating. I've even done, um, I did a, like a six week series, four or six week series on like helping people use yoga to help them um, through uncoupling and loss, you know, in a breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've my kind of favorite topic um, more these days is uh, yoga classes to help with sensual potential sensuality sensuality mm. uh, tap into uh, that part of me that's our relationships and intimacy and sex therapy so mm. um, so yeah I'm, but mainly where I see my clients um, one-on-one or my couples that I work with mm. is over there in St. Louis Park at Dharma Wellness I actually just was there this morning. I went to a yoga class. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, I know. I wish I was there. To, I could take more classes there. I feel like when I'm there, I'm working. I'm back in my, my, my little room. Um, with it. it is what I always love is when there'll be clients more and more. I've had clients where, you know, they'll, they'll come see me and then they'll go take a yoga class before or after, mm. or they'll go, you know, get a massage from one of the practitioners before or after. And it's just, it's, it, I just get excited about that because I think that it really is, um, helping people fully integrate, you know, let's take advantage of these, these places that really, you know, bring this all together, you know, yeah. all these resources. So. Uh, yeah. And one thing I want to talk about too, cause I think I've had, especially over the last, you know, few months, even with just what's going on with our world is, you know, anxiety is kind of running high again. So how do you kind of help people deal through anxiety and remaining calm with everything that goes on, especially if they have young kids, because I know a lot of moms um, that I train, they're really starting to get a little bit more anxious again. And, um, you know, how can they go about like easing that anxiety? Well, yeah, I think that anxiety and all the different types and different flavors of anxiety is really the number one mental health problem we have in the U.S., Mm -hmm. whether it be a generalized anxiety or, um, 
you know, a specific phobia or some intermittent panic attacks or maybe, you know, some obsessive compulsive tendencies or, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a real, I would say, epidemic going on. And, and some of that is because we do live in this culture that glorifies busyness and productivity. And, um, and, and that's part of why I really love a lot of Eastern philosophies because it is, they talk about really balancing um, activity and rest. You know, rest is just as important as activity in a lot of those um, philosophies. Um, but so what, what it was hard is that, um, yeah, we do, we are living in a society that really valorizes the, the doing over the being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that um, what's difficult when people have small children is that, you know, you have people depending on you. And so your methods of self-care, it's so much harder, I think, to really get to prioritize your own self-care. Um, and, you know, as soon as some of our, our self-care breaks down, everything else can kind of follow. Um, and so, you know, you have to first, I guess, accept that there's going to be some phases in your life where you're not going to have the same kind of self-care. But I do also think that everybody should figure out, like, what are their non-negotiables for self-care as far as is it, is it 30 minutes of exercise every day or every other day? Is it that you is it sleep is it hydration is it you know there's uh, massage like what you know it's different for everybody but like what are the top two or three things that are your non-negotiables that like you need at least just a little bit of every day in order to just have the kind of vitality that can keep you going and then you do your best to really get that in it doesn't mean you always do you mean you set the intention I mean I set the intention all the time to actually go to bed earlier because sleep is definitely one of those that I struggle with um you know I'm always helping other people with their sleep hygiene and I'm I'm the one who's chronically (laughs) getting less sleep but but I guess you know back to the really your your question of like how to manage the anxiety I mean I think that my my mind always first goes to yeah the body um how can you either through breath and and any breath will do you have five minutes extra five minutes of breathing there's never a wasted breath it's never in vain it completely you breathe and everything follows from that your nervous system um blood flow to your brain blood flow to your internal organs that can help with your immune system your digestion you know it's it's so simple i think sometimes people discount breathing who don't have a breath practice because it's it's almost like seems so simple Mm -hmm. it's so profound so i think for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time to actually stop and like check in because when people are busy, they just, they take such shallow breaths. They're not even fully breathing. And, and what we, what we know and, and what all sorts of ancient wisdom traditions and cultures know is that our breath is our life force. If we aren't breathing, we're barely alive. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're barely there. Um, but I, I mean, I think that I'm a big believer in what I call bodyfulness. We, we hear a lot about mindfulness and I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan of mindfulness, but I also feel like, mindfulness still keeps us a little bit too much in our heads Mm. um whereas bodyfulness is the principles of mindfulness which is that we are trying to really be be present and aware and free from judgment in the thoughts that come up um but also folding in the body because it's really asking a lot for us in our busy culture to just say 
um, all right, you need to start meditating. Okay. You've been running around now. Just stop, sit still, breathe. <laughs> right. I mean, that is, that's really demanding, but yes. what bodyfulness says is it's like you, you use some sort of moving meditation to actually slowly transition out of being stuck in those thinking patterns. So like I start every therapy session with a guided meditation just to help us get grounded. You know, people are coming in traffic and who knows what. Um, and so the grounding meditation will also involve pairing like breath with movement because that gives people's mind something else to latch onto. And before they know it, they get kind of lost in the rhythm of that movement paired with the breath or the, you know, pairing, you know, maybe it's they're inhaling and reaching their arms high, exhaling, bringing their hands back down. Or maybe we're doing alternate nostril breathing where they also have to notice that they're moving their fingers from one nostril to the other. And um, so we, we need, if we enlist the body in to some of these like short, simple meditations, we're going to be much more likely actually then to kind of land in that experience versus if we're just told to, you know, sit and, and breathe and just, just figure it out. And then that's what leads people to feel like I can't meditate. I failed at meditating and um, I can't do it. And because also they don't realize perhaps that like the part of the practice is that your mind will wander. That is a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> that is its job. Yes. Can you speak a little more on that? Because I actually just heard someone on the radio and she was a host and she was like, oh, I can't meditate. And she said just that. And um, I was like, no, that, that's what it's going to do. Um, so can you yeah. tell a little bit more about that? Because I think people, that is one of the reasons they don't meditate. Right. Well, I mean, I think that, so our minds, our brains are, their job is to constantly scan our environment for potential threat. You know, we, it's like the caveman and woman in us is that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always on alert to just make sure that we're cool. We're good. And I think that, um, we, we just don't live though in, in, in an age in which we always need to be, you know, prepared for some sort of bear to come out and, and, get, and eat us. Granted, we do have a lot of other threats in our you know, modern day threats, but, um, so the brain is doing its job and sort of always being on alert to make sure that we're, we're good. But, um, we have to, I think we have to work hard to actually really, um, help engage the other neural pathways in our, in our brain, those neural pathways that are able to access, oh, there is peace, there is ease, like there is, as opposed to just threat and kind of fear in our world, there's plenty of beauty and mystery and delight and, and peace and ease and compassion. Um, and so sometimes we just have to work a little bit harder to also see that to come into the balance. But as far as when we're, we're meditating, I think that if we can go into it with the understanding and the expectation that, all right, the brain is going to do its job and that it's going to wander into perhaps thinking about things in the past or thinking about things that need to happen in the future or could happen in the future. And that's its part of its job to protect us. But you know what? We, we aren't in the past and we're, we, there's nothing we can do about the future. So we need a break from that. We have to give ourselves a break from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all, it's just a simple cycle. The, the mind will, the brain will, will go off in different directions and then we figure out our tools to bring it back. And it's just, it's sort of the cycle of like this yo-yo It kind of flows out. We flow it back in. And over time with practice, we get far less reactive when that happens. You know, we're able to reel that mind back in. 
into that monkey mind or I've heard somebody call it like the popcorn mind kind of popping around. But with the practice, you know, what's amazing is I, I have myself seen and with my clients, people find that their reactivity really starts to dissolve. They find freedom from that reactive mind. So it's not that their mind doesn't wander. Mm-hmm. It's that they notice it wanders and they're, they're just kind of chill about it. And then they're like, all right, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back into whatever the object of maybe my focus is in my meditation, whether it's maybe my breath or my body or it's, you know, walking or sometimes it's, you know, a mantra or visualization or um, so. So, yeah, people who think that they're failing or doing meditation wrong, you know, they're, they're just um, maybe not recognizing that, like, that is what the practice <laughs> is all about. And it's, it can be also really alarming for people to suddenly, when they first start meditating, to just be so connected to their thoughts mm-hmm. of, like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, my mind keeps spiraling back to these certain storylines. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy in the beginning. It's, like, it's, it's, I always compare it to, like, this, you know, big – um it's like it's like this um what am i trying to say like forklift is like coming in and like digging into your mind and like kind of excavating out and like you know you're digging out kind of all this just like stuff that gets like stuck there and in your in your thoughts and the recycled thoughts and you know you're left really exposed with like oh i'm now i really like see I'm not busying myself up all the time to avoid what some of my thinking patterns are. It can be kind of alarming until you, and then, and then you have to like, then the next step is you really like befriend, you befriend yourself as to like what those thoughts and feelings are about. And, and those feelings, every, you know, every feeling is really just a gift telling you that something within you, within your heart, within your soul wants and needs attention. Yeah. That's something, um, that I do want to talk about, uh, it's kind of a good segue with befriending yourself, is the body positivity and just how we as women um, tend to sometimes talk negative to ourselves and how can we just spin that into a more positive direction. So when maybe we are sitting there in a meditation and we just start criticizing ourselves, like how can we kind of get out of our head and more in tune with, um, you know, flipping that script? Right. Yeah. Body positivity. I mean, it's, it, what's, What's interesting, I guess you could call it, is that it's really not only, you know, women anymore. There's such an increasing amount of of men and males Mm -hmm. that are also really um, scrutinizing their body and Mm -hmm. developing eating disorders. And um, and so it's um, what I I mean, I think that there are different different things. One is I think that if we are not always in the media messages if we're not you know looking at fashion magazines or certain you know other sorts of of media that are emphasizing um bodies that really aren't realistic um or also depending on who we surround ourselves with you know if we're if our tribe if our community are people who who are about encouraging vitality in your body versus just the um outward appearance of of body i think that makes a big difference too mm-hmm. um I think that there's, you know, there's certain types of activities that I think can focus more on kind of weight and size and cert- certain types of activities that focus more on just, yeah, really enjoying being in your body. Like I've been having a good time taking dance classes, more dance classes mm-hmm. lately, whether it be Zumba or burlesque. I mean, all these different ways to be in my body in a way that is kind of like anything goes, you know, you flow, it's more playful, it's more fun it's a very different way to connect my body even than yoga and, and also than a lot of the endurance sports that I 
long grew up doing and still enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically, I think body positivity can come from noticing all the ways your body is working for you, noticing the strength in your body, um, noticing just the different the different ways you can be in your body and use your body and have fun in your body because it's so much more than how we look in an outfit or the number on the scale. You know, those are, those are really hollow measurements of what's happening. I mean, our body is this absolutely like mysterious, amazing, um, you know, interconnected systems. Um, you know, uh, so, so yeah, I think that um, I also, I've noticed with a lot of women the older they get and the more that they've seen what their bodies are capable of, whether it be childbirth or whether it be, you know, other sorts of, you know, doing their first marathon at 40 or, or like some of the women that I've been taking dance classes with, but just, um, or also the ways women are coming, come more and more into their own sexually and and as they reach their sexual peak in their thirties. And um, I think that, you know, that body confidence comes with prioritizing activities where you can be in your body in different ways. and, you know, just build that inner strength, physical strength, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's such a parallel between, like, a lot of the work that you do in training with people then just feeling mentally stronger. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think it's great when people take risks by, you know, doing a race or maybe doing a dance class that has a show or, you know, that I think builds confidence, too. Um, but there's really nothing more attractive to anybody else than somebody who does feel confident in their body, no matter how it looks, you know, that somebody who feels sensual in their body, no matter how much they weigh, no matter, you know, what size they are, everybody's drawn to that person. I think so too. Cause I think that you can see that when someone's confident, like they just walk a little bit taller and they just carry themselves a little bit differently than someone who doesn't. So I definitely think that's true. Cause I think you know, I would agree too. I see in, um, you know, as we age, as I've aged, um, you know, just the shift in, okay, what I used to like criticize and critique now I'm like, I don't even care anymore, <laughs> you know? And like that mm-hmm. comes after like my son is now, um, well close to two, not quite, but, um, you know, just having, having a child, I'm like, wow, I thought I would be more caring. And I really don't care if my abs are never going to look like they used to before, you know? And I'm just like, I, I just, I thought I would care more and I, I don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've heard it, you know, a flip. I mean, I guess it would be 50, 50. I still have some people who after having kids, they're still, um, you know, I guess wanting that old body back that maybe they had when they were 18, you know? And so then trying to figure out, okay, how do we manage this and expectations and, you know, cause typically girls at 18, we probably didn't have the healthiest of habits. Um, a lot of them. And <laughs> yeah, I know I, I like would live off of Twizzlers and yes. drugs. I mean, oh, yeah. I had such a sugar addiction back then. I, know. I still do to some extent, not to imply that it's completely gone, but yeah. Yeah. I think that that, I mean, that evolution, I mean, it does, sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. And I think it's probably just doing some more internal work to figure out how you kind of can get there. Would you say that would be kind of true as well? Right. Yeah. No, a lot of internal work. I mean, I think that, um, you know, like when I do work with people who are in, um, you know, late teens into their 20s, you know, it's sometimes I just want to say, like, don't just don't worry about that because it all works out. It's like there's this saying, you know, nothing works, but everything works out. And um, I, I but some things can only be discovered through lived experience. And so like I know myself and I have a lot of other female friends my age and our, you know, late thirties, early forties, where we, our 
we look and feel better in our bodies now than we did in our 20s because, you know, we have, we've learned what works for us as far as like, you know, sleep and food and movement and, um, you know, or, and, and just physical intimacy with partners. And like, we've been able to, over time, you know, figure out like what works for me, you know, what is self-care along those lines. Um, and, and I think be un unapologetic about how we look or what we need. I, I think it wouldn't that be great if we all could be unapologetic about like what we need for food for sleep for exercise or um, you know because over time we've learned what does and doesn't work for us as far as you know those patterns of self-regulation of sleep and rest and, and food and hydration and, and, and movement and exercise time with others time to ourselves um, like I know for, for me part of why I just I I would say I feel and look better in my body now than 20 years ago is also because I, I do a lot of variety. Like I believe in just as we need to have a variety of foods that we eat, different food groups and different colors of foods, we need to have variety in how we move our body, whether it be, you know, different types of cardio or strength or, you know, yoga or other sorts of adrenaline activities or dance. Um, so, and, and from that place, from those different types of movement, and that sort of love and care in my body, that's also shifted the, you know, what I eat and, and, you know, just being curious and how, what I eat, like what assimilates and works well for me or not. And it's been a really slow process. I mean, it's been, you know, slowly over 20 years, like I know I'm so much more attuned to like what does and doesn't work for me as far as food and exercise and, and my body. And then also I don't, I don't flip out when I gain that five pounds every Christmas. Be, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like, because I just have that sense of, of inner trust that like it all will balance out over time. And I don't think that you always know that when you're younger. No. Right. It's like every, every like little thing is the next World War Three, And you, you just don't have that sense of like, ah, like this isn't permanent. You know, this isn't final. You know, yeah. things will shift. Oh, yeah. That's a great example. I know I had, it was funny. I was talking to one of my clients. We both had kind of the same experience. I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. Both of us gained like three pounds over the weekend. And, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and she is in her early forties and we're both like, uh, but we know it will come off in a few days. We just got to turn around our habits. And like, to me, that was an amazing conversation to have because neither one of us were like freaking out about this. Yeah. And B, I'm like, I've had this conversation before where I'd be like, oh my gosh, I need to cut out this and this. And, you know, I can just think back to my mid twenties where I'm like, no, I need to not eat this. Oh, no more alcohol. I have to cut out all sweets. Maybe I should skip dinner. You know, all of these things where now it's just so much more freedom to be like, no, it will come off. Like you just got to turn around your habits yeah. and, you know, just having that freedom to be like, oh, okay, everything's fine. It's not the end of the world. And like literally probably the next day I was like, oh, and it's already gone. You know? And like, that's yeah. where you're like, you know, right, okay, right. that's that, again, why would you freak out about that in the past? You know, now it's, I was a, a if I would have weighed the same, I wasn't going to freak out either. But like, that's something that I think that it comes with age and it comes with that experience that you're mm -hmm. talking about. Cause it is, it's just so much more freeing when you can get there. And I, you know, I always joke that I'm a recovering perfectionist, like a recovering, <laughs> a recovering type A. Um, and so what's really big for me in my sort of ongoing recovery to not get, you know, rigid or, or linear. I mean, in some ways I've kind of gone to the other end of the spectrum, but you know, for myself and also when I work with clients around emotional eating issues, it's like, 
everything in moderation. I don't believe in that there should be, unless you are like truly physically allergic to something, I don't think that there should be any, you know, foods that should just be absolutely no. That gives, I think that gives it a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, it's like, everybody's different in what they need and and we and the more we might deprive ourselves the more we might rebound so um yeah i think it's it, it can all balance out yeah and i'm like i'm a fan of like food rules but like again food rules that can be broken so like mm-hmm. in general three drinks are under three like glasses of wine a week are under i know is what works for my body but am i gonna freak out if i have five one week no it's not the end of the world just maybe the next week i'll have one you know and that's kind of those balances that again that we can kind of come to because i found that when i work with clients right in the beginning they like to have some sort of guidelines otherwise they sometimes moderation yeah. can be too overwhelming for them because then they don't know nothing is in moderation to them and so then I'm like here just give yourselves what are you struggling put some rules around it and then we'll work from there and they're like oh okay and then you'll see like eventually they're not necessarily even rules anymore it's just you the way you eat and it's not any big deal so like that's where I also um you know kind of agree and it's it is kind of the form of moderation just with a couple added things for those who might need that so when you said three drinks, I'm like, yeah, I try to stick to not having more than three drinks a night. And then you were like, well, you know, it's not more than three a week. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. I know. I don't know where I came up with that number. Uh, like years ago, it was like three drinks for under. I told people if they're trying to lose weight. And then that's just been kind of my, in the back of my head, what I always stick to. And, you know, for the most part, like, cause I don't need a ton of wine. Um, cause I have to get up so freaking early in the morning that I'm like, uh, yeah. it's going to be a bad bad time for me so usually on sometimes on a Thursday night I'll have a glass but I don't have to train on Friday but I did this morning so that was a no-go plus I'm on a detox <laughs> right now <laughs> oh okay more power to you detox uh, me too will you <laughs> yeah it's a yogi detox and it's I went a little too hardcore so I'm on day three now and day one and two they went okay but you know I'm like clearly I went a little too hardcore into this we'll we'll ease into it a little bit more <laughs> yeah yeah sounds good Easy. Uh, yes. So um, final few questions. I want to know about your upcoming retreat that you have. Yes, I love leading retreats. I think of the different hats that I wear because I also, you know, I do some writing, I do the therapy, I do some of the educating. And, but um, why I love retreats is because people can make such dramatic transformation in literally one week in a seven day period, you know, the kind of transformation that it might take people a whole year of weekly therapy to, to get. Um, and that's because people are really pulled out of their home. We, what we do is the one, for example, that I have this winter is in um, Southern Nicaragua and I love Nicaragua. It's actually like the safest country in um, Central America. A lot of people don't realize that, but um, and it's just affordable. It's not too touristy, but we come together and, um, I teach two different yoga classes a day, one in the morning and one, one in the evening, which is more meditative, but then people have plenty of free time to go surfing or kayaking or hiking or get a massage or read, hang out in the hammock, hang out at the pool, um, or go learn more about the local culture and the markets. But there's also really amazing food. So you get to come, you get to be led in classes, you get all of these amazing, really nutritious and delicious meals. Um, you just get to truly rest and relax. You aren't at home where maybe, you know, you're doing your yoga, but then you're thinking about the dishes in the sink you need to wash or, you know, and, and you get to really take care of yourself. So there's some structure, but then there's a lot of, you know, freedom to just give yourself what you need. And then my style of yoga can... 
um, people tell me at least it can, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist because I'm teaching the yoga. I mean, I think just the yoga in and, uh, in and of itself is really, it gives people like what they're needing in, mm -hmm. in that moment. You know, people come on retreats for all different reasons, but usually the hardest part is people are afraid to commit the money. Oh yeah. I've never had anybody. I mean, I've had people who have come back to my retreats again and again and people love it, but, um, it just incorporates all my favorite things, which is like travel. And, you know, I went to summer camp growing up, so it's like adult summer camp. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. You come back and I think people are just amazed and refreshed and so connected to self and connected to their bodies. And, but so it's going to be January 20th to 27th um, in Nicaragua. And I have that info on my website. I have a few spots left. I probably have about four spots left and I have about eight people who are toying with taking those spots. Who knows? You know, <laughs> really will take the plunge but um but yeah I, I love it and I, I've I last year I did a couple I did one in Tulum Mexico also Nicaragua just I'm gonna just do this one this year and then take some time to do a writing sabbatical and work on a, a book that I hope to I hope to uh, actually write one of these years so uh, I love it yeah. and they can find that on your website at drrachelallen.com and I'll have that in the info in the show notes as well so if anyone's kind of looking for stuff um, you can find it there. Um, yeah. And then my last question for you, I like to throw out weekly challenges to the listeners. And when I have guests on, I have you guys kind of give them a weekly challenge. So what would you like it to be this week? Ah, oh, the weekly challenge. Well, one could be what I was talking about earlier with the non-negotiables, like maybe, you know, people figuring out like what would be two non-negotiables. And by that, I mean these things that are just so vital to your self-care that you know make a difference in your life but you also know that they fall to the wayside um that i think could be really effective that you pick those two when you do them every day um i also love anything around gratitude like maybe you stop every day and you go through what i call like the abcs of gratitude you start with the letter a you go as far down the alphabet as you can um, thinking of something that you have gratitude for. I especially recommend that for people at night when they can't fall asleep or they wake up in the night. So I love it. I've never yeah. done that one. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong with gratitude. You really that's can't. Cool. You enter a different part of your brain. Yeah. That's cool. Um, the ABC. I'll have to try that one. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. My personal challenge is I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed earlier. I got to get yeah. sleep. So I'm going to commit to that this week. And <laughs> everybody listening, you can pick whatever your, yeah, you're, do not Maybe they need sleep too. So they, Hey, if that's open for them as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Give yourself a bedtime this week. <laughs> I know. I know. Just, just do it. Just sleep. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to get to talk to you, Rachel, and I'm hoping to have you on again next year and we can chat a little bit more. Um, but again, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure as well. Yeah. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you for having this podcast. Yes, no problem. <laughs> um, and then everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the Peaceful Power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.